Welcome to the Local Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. I'm excited today to have two guests I've been in recent conversation with that uh, has led me down a, a path that we've not covered before. Uh, guest number one, Holly Stalders, the Executive Director of the Belfouche Economic Development Corporation. Uh, my other guest today is Dean Hedrick from Holt Homes. Um, we will be discussing rural housing needs in western South Dakota in the Black Hills region. Um, I guess, Dean, I will ask you, uh, since you're our primary victim today, to tell us a little bit about yourself and the credentials that you have for this discussion. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Clay. This is an exciting time for growth and development uh, all across the nation, let alone in the Black Hills of South Dakota. We all know how crazy housing is and how what the housing needs are in the country. I represent a company called Holt Homes. We concentrate primarily in residential new construction and multifamily development. But I also sit on the board for the National Association of Home Builders, where I work on state and local government affairs, work on single-family builder committee, and I'm also a lecturer and educator for everything from appraisals to assessment to how do we help rural communities get homes and housing in their community. Holly, you and Dean were at a conference here in the last couple of years, and you'd suggested we visit with him about some housing needs and in Belfouche, uh, can you share with me what your experience has been leading us to this point? Certainly, Clay. At, at the time, about three years ago, I had met Dean at a, it was kind of a housing, uh, not a conference per se, but just a roundtable discussion on, you know, how we continue to address housing in rural communities. And I had a good feeling about Dean just by the level of expertise he brought to the table, how frankly he spoke about things and how well he knew his material. And at the time, I felt we weren't ready in Belfouche. We had been laying the groundwork. We were, we were getting there, but I didn't know when that point would be that we'd actually be ready. Well, that time arrived, and I actually had the opportunity to, to uh, cross paths with Dean and started picking his brain on housing. And next thing you know, we, we were in Belfouche having more conversations. Um, we knew, I guess I don't know if you want me to segue yet into yeah. this, but uh, we knew from a housing study we had updated. Um, originally, it was 2013. We updated that in 2020. So that's during a pandemic, and it was prior to 2021 when several folks found South Dakota a pleasing place to want to plant their families and move into, and our housing inventory became rather depleted over the course of 2021. So the good news is um, we knew we had an house, a housing issue. Um, the even better new news was it was worse than we thought. <laughs> we had more people move in, housing inventory depleted, and then we had some announcements of some manufacturers moving into our community, which was going to drive housing needs even higher. So mm. I engaged Dean. <laughs> to, and to and kudos to the city of Belfouche, the economic development group, the city council, the elected officials on the city and county level, um, community members wanting to see how do we do this. And, you know, we're finding more and more across western South Dakota, a lot of the rural communities are having the exact same conversation. We don't have any housing. We want to expand. People are moving here. We don't have anything to offer them. What do we do? How do we do it? And there are challenges unique to rural America that you don't have in larger cities. You know, you go to a place like uh, Rapid City, right here in Rapid City. We've got, you know, the concrete plants here. All of your subcontractors are here. You've got builders here. You've got businessmen here. Expansion and growth is easier 
you get into a rural community, Hot Springs, Custer, Wall, Belfouche, Sturgis, where you don't necessarily have those levels of help to help you build. So building something costs more in a rural community. So how do you address that? What does the city do? What does the county do? These are all questions that have to happen on a, on a local level before you can even invite builders and developers to the table. And kudos to the city of Belfouche for being way on top of it. So you've been in a number of communities now and have undertaken projects on um, very large scale down to probably the pretty granular level. Yeah, we, we have, and, it, and it's interesting. We just completed an RFP project with the city of Hot Springs. And uh, kudos to Hot Springs for thinking outside the box. They, too, had updated their housing studies. Um, they didn't have as many people on the same page at the same time as Belfouche did, but they knew there was a housing need. And what they had done in their community is they identified some city and county-owned properties that were off the tax rolls, that would be good for business, good for building, good for development. And they offered uh, RFPs, which are called a, uh, let's see, ready for proposal. Um, so you go in as, and they open it up to the public. And the RFP says, offer us what you want for the land. Tell us what you're going to do with it. Here are the guidelines and the credentials and the criteria that we want. And then they open it up and they will award the land to whoever not necessarily the highest bidder is, but the person who brings the most asset to the table for their specific and need. And by we there, you mean the, either the county or the city is the one that determines the parameters. Exactly. You know, whoever the entity is. We uh, This particular RFP that we finished in Hot Springs, the city owned the property. Um, we acquired the property. We put in one, two, three, four governor's houses, another wonderful program and option that the state has. And we added uh, money, got the properties back on the tax rolls, added a 75 to 100-year footprint for public utilities, electric and gas and, and you know, phone cable, Internet. Um, we got deserving people into deserving homes, and we helped l alleviate a little bit of the pressure of oh my gosh, we have housing needs and we, we've got people want to move here. We don't have anything to offer them. And it's not a problem unique to Belfouche or Hot Springs. This is a problem in rural America. You know, in 2020, the pandemic came and the definition of home changed for a lot of the country. And a lot of people found out they could work for home, so it didn't matter where home was. And so instead of living and paying $5,000 a month for a little 500-square-foot studio apartment on the 44th floor of downtown New York City, they can move to someplace like the God-given lands of South Dakota, enjoy life a little bit more, breathe some fresh air, relax a little bit, and still run the business that they have out of their home. So we're seeing an influx that is, I'm going to say, abnormal for the times. And so what do we, and I mean economic development companies, bankers, lenders, builders, developers, county officials, city officials, what do we do to get things going so we're not behind the eight ball? So as the community banker, and it's a hat I wear proudly, but a lot of times we'll uh, be having coffee shop conversation. I'll get the old, well, what you need to do, and when it comes to housing, what I need to do is go get somebody to build houses down that street. What people don't always understand is getting houses built down that street is, is not that easy. It doesn't happen overnight. You have some parameters set in place by either your city or county, depending upon the governing authority. 
uh, curb and gutter, utilities easements, utilities laid in. The list goes on and on and on, but the starting point is identifying what your specific need is in a rural community. Do you need apartment complexes to house a lot of people in a short amount of time? Do you need a subdivision where of entry-level homes? Are you Do you have a retiring community where people want to live in a 55-plus neighborhood? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yeah. yes, and yes. And so then the, the animal that's created is multifaceted because you've got private industry, us as the builder-developer. You've got public entities, the city and local government, and the county local government, and the state local government. And then you've got local businessmen and local uh, community members. And guess what? Not everybody has the same idea that everybody else does. So the challenge occurs when you try to get uh, everybody on the same page. Because the a lot of times as a builder developer, what we will hear is build it and they will come. Okay, That puts 100% of the financial risk on the builder. And if they don't come, one misstep, we'd be out of business. And so identifying the need, however you do that, whether it's, um, I love what the city of Belfouche has done, economic development, city, county officials, local businessmen, local community uh, community members have gathered together as a housing committee. They've identified the priority of needs. They've updated their housing studies. They've researched available properties, and then they've gone out and solicited builder developers to say, hey, would you come take a look at this? And when we as a builder developer come up and we look at it, we see excitement, we see organization, we see detail, we see a welcoming atmosphere, and those are all very attractive reasons to come in and help the community succeed their goal. Now, every community is going to be a little bit different, but I think the core answer is the same. The group that is going to be the leaders of the community need to make those decisions. What is our priority? What housing needs are needed? Do we want to attract industry? You know, questions like that. And then you do the research because everyone says, oh, yeah, we need housing. We need multifamily housing. We need row homes. We need, we need, we need. Prove it. Now you've got to do the housing studies. You've got to do the demographics. You've got to do all those what I called boring statistics. You know, you've got to get those down so you can crunch the numbers and, and not only claim the need, but justify and prove the need. Then go out and seek your people. And maybe you only need a local builder that the city and county can help fund to build an apartment complex that becomes a public-private partnership. Maybe you need a nonprofit to come in and do subsidized housing. Maybe you need a large development and you need a larger developer. It all depends on what you've identified your need as. But then you have a focus to go and get what it is you need. So if a community were late to the game, which I can't imagine many are today, but if somebody were, uh, this process can take, Holly, how long have you been working on this? Mm -hmm. Almost eight years. Almost eight years. Mm -hmm. And we are within the last six months probably to the point where we felt like we had our ducks in a row enough we could make an invitation to somebody Um, so if you have the template which you did a lot of it from scratch but if you had the template it's still a four or five year process a lot of times and if you don't have the infrastructure in place the permitting process we we do have seasons here still in western south dakota that can't interfere with some of our productivity 
And I think one of the greater challenges when you make point to the timeline is, yes, a process like this will take four to five years if you want to identify it properly. There are fast tracks. There are things that can be done in the interim. But in that period, because we are rural communities, um, your leadership, your elected officials change. And unfortunately, when they change, their priorities change. And so for somebody in Holly's position, like an economic development director who is a stability amongst all the chaos, sometimes it's like herding cats. You know, and we, we've talked about that, how it's hard to keep the focus going, keep the ball rolling, keep the momentum going forward if you don't have a long-range goal as well as a short-range goal. Um, it can become a challenge. So because of familiarity, I'm going to take the easy road and use the information we have from Belfouche. So we had our ducks fairly well lined up. Thank you, Holly, for that. And you were able to take a look at that and say, here, here are your needs. How do you attack that, excuse me, as a builder and prioritize for us? What had happened um, three years ago, I was lecturing at a housing summit for Western South Dakota, and Holly, as the economic development director for Belfouche, was there. We were talking in generalities. And what we've seen happen since then, that Holly called me and said, Dean, I think it's time that you and I have a talk. Housing studies are a wonderful place to start. Most housing studies, have, the most recent ones, were in 2013 to 2015. Some updated in 2018, but there are very few that have gone any further than that. Housing needs, housing studies, have changed drastically because of the pandemic. But the housing study was probably, first and foremost, one of the greatest pieces of information we had, okay? Um, we then look at this and say, okay, well, let's dig a little deeper, see what's happened. This is the next thing I would like to see, Holly. Boom, here it is. It's right in front of me. And what they had done as an economic development group is gone throughout the community, in the city and the county, and identified a number of properties, they did drone views of them. They did maps of them. This is in the city. This is annexed. This one is not. This has sewer and water. This one doesn't. This one's zoned egg. This one's multifamily, but it could be rezoned residential. This is a two-acre parcel. Here's a hundred-acre parcel. Knowing what the need was, they gave opportunity to anyone at that wanted to come to the table, okay? And it's like, wow, You've saved me about six months of due diligence because I don't have to go look for properties in your community. You have already found them. Some of them were public properties. Some of them were listed with real estate agents. And some of them were just wonderful citizens that said, you know, yeah, I see the need too. And I've got an extra 20 acres. Let me see what you can do with that. So we got that information. And then we got the um, housing study. Um, so what it was I did then was went and got MSA data from Washington, D.C. Uh, that data is a little challenging to get unless you are on the inside track. Fortunately, working with state and local government affairs, I called my uh, executive director for that department. Now, if I can interrupt here for a second, Dean, MSA data is a... Is metropolitan, excuse me, metropolitan statistical analysis. What that does is give you median incomes. It gives you average ages of individuals in the community. It gives you your percentage of how your median income locally compares to the state and national average. And then it gives statistical data on this many people in the community own their homes. 
this many people in the community rent their homes. Here are the number of homes available in a snapshot on this date. Here are the number homes of units available for rent on this date. Interesting statistics for us in Belfouche specifically, there were no multifamily building permits pulled since 2017. And in the last 12 years, there have only been 31 units built in Belfouche. The rental proportion percentage to the ownership percentage is that over 26% of the people in town rent. There are usually two reasons that that number is high. One is lack of housing availability, which, yep, check yes. And the other is transitional people. And there's a little bit of that because Spearfish is 11 miles away and there's a university there and you've got people in the fall semester and spring semester and seasonal workers and that kind of stuff. But the most important statistic for us was there is zero rentals available and there is an average nine-month waiting list for rental units in the city of Belfouche. All of these uh, raise huge wonderment flags for us when we start checking off this is what we need in order to come into a community. So then you can take the statistical data from the MSA numbers and say, here's our range of affordability, here's our range of open houses, and when you match those together... Exactly. When we combine them with the housing study is what's needed and the demographics and the and the census work, it's that icky, icky statistic stuff that I hate doing that gives us a lot of information. But basically, in this world, it was easy because Belfouche had already done the housing study. They had already identified the properties. They had given me statistical analysis on demographics and census work. And then I filled in the blanks with the uh, metropolitan statistical analysis to combine all the numbers to create a picture. And that picture basically says the immediate need is multifamily housing. That's our belief. Get as many places for people to live as fast as we can. Um, Ironically, with a nine-month waiting list and the amount of people not in homes, that could afford homes um, for a minimum of 48 units, we believe, is needed right now this very minute. Then you look at a mid-range forecast. Is this a one-and-we're-done thing? Um, The answer in our world is no, absolutely not. We see continued growth and expansion from an industry standpoint in Belfouche. And as you start to grow, the ball gets rolling, you will continue to grow. That's just the rule of averages. And so in a mid-range and long-range forecast, you're looking at single-family homes, you're looking at 55-plus communities to allow the older generation, the baby boomers, to downsize out of their home into a community that's not really assisted living or, you know, uh, nursing home care kind of stuff. It's simply we want to live as a community and, and have zero-entry homes and somebody shovel our sidewalk and mow our yards and get our mail if we want or whatever. Um, we see a need for that. You see a need for tiny homes. You see, you know, governor's houses. But you also see people who wouldn't mind having a very nice semi-custom home. So that's the next level that we look at with this. Um, but kudos again to economic development in the city of Belfouche because they have made a builder-developer's job relatively easy compared to most people. So in the communities you've been involved in previously, as you offer the place for the boomers to move out of their house, you see those homes transitioning to beginner homes for young families? And, and that's, the, that's the, the double-edged blessing that comes with it is as 
as the older generation downsizes into 55-plus communities, they will sell their homes that they've been living in for 30, 40 years. And guess what? In the age and the price point that those are, those are now becoming entry-level homes for the next generation, the millennial generation coming into the market um, for them to be able to get into a home. So you're providing, you get two houses for the price of one on the market, basically is what happens. Pretty effective way of turning the inventory for it, us, it, it is and you know for every house you move into there you've got hopefully one they're moving out of it gets sold transitioned either to a rental or a you know a sale a sold unit and it it seems to help alleviate the problem of housing and the housing need faster than people think so once you've identified the problem and find a potential solution then then you have the really easy part of deploying that solution um, that becomes the biggest challenge for the builder developer. Okay, uh, the owner of our company has always said it's construction. If it were easy, everybody would do it, and that's that's it. It can be a challenge though because elected officials in rural communities, and I'm not being disrespectful at all. I'm simply acknowledging a fact. A lot of these elected officials do not have a wheelhouse of experience for development and for infrastructure and for building and construction to at this level well to be fair our communities we're rural communities for a reason we haven't seen rapid growth that's in that's exactly ever, right so there's little opportunity to experience that and so um, all of us are learning kind of together for the yeah first time. that's exactly right and what happens though is that some individuals in that elected capacity still feel they have to be in charge without really knowing what they're doing because they've been elected by their community. And with all due respect, some people can't get out of their own way. Um, and that becomes a challenge as a builder um, to deal with that because you there is a political aspect to what we do, especially in rural communities. And so then the challenge becomes that trust relationship. You know, to transition from being, oh, here's the big bad builder from out of town and the developer and coming in and taking all our money and taking all of his stuff. I hear it all the time. But the fact of the matter is, if this isn't a win-win situation, it's not something we're interested in either because we're going to have to continue to be there after the fact as well. And if people can't trust us for what we do and we can't trust them to be good leaders to do what we need to have done, but more importantly, to protect the community as a leader, I'm not sure I want to be involved because then it's a fight. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the government aspect of this a lot of the, uh, can be either a good thing or a bad thing. And a lot of that depends on how you start the relationship, how you work with people. And that's not just me. That's, that's you, Clay. That's you, Holly. Um, that's the leaders of the town. Um, I come into Belfouche. And it just blows me away because everybody is excited. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody wants to be a part of the process. They want to be a part of the solution instead of creating more problems. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging for the community. Um, it's also encouraging for us as a builder developer because it indicates to us that we don't have to play politician. We can stay in our own lane and play builder developer. And that's exciting for me. So to ease that transition into the community for you, is it easier? And I guess maybe I'm protecting some of my customers a little bit. Uh, I have contractors, plumbers, electricians, framers. They've been doing this for years. If they provide that service for you, is that easier for you to enter the market and 
that that's a wonderful question to ask because part of the perception of being a good out-of-town builder developer is using local asset as much as you can. And that is actually part of our mission statement when we go into a community is that we will always use local vendors, local tradesmen, lo- local craftsmen and subcontractors, however, comma. Some of them do not have the manpower to do what we need done in the time frame we need done. Some of them do not have the experience specifically that we will need. Um, you might know a framer, but does this framer have a crew of 20 that can frame a four-story, 24-unit complex? Some can, some can't. But absolutely, we always entertain talking with them. Um, the other thing is I have budgetary and financial requirements as well. And if I have to pay twice the money locally than I do if I go with our normal sources, it's not financially feasible for me to do that. Um, but we always open it up. We always talk to them. And a lot of times we end up with wonderful long-term relationships because after a, a rental property, an apartment complex, for example, is built, we still have to own it and manage it. And it's nice to be able to have a local plumber. Hey, I had a water heater go out in unit three. Can you guys get over there and fix it? So, yeah, I see um, it's got to be a win-win for the community as well as us, or there's no sense doing it because then it's a big thorn in everybody's side. It has to help you a little bit on the cost side if you don't have to mobilize your entire workforce. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. My job is to protect the golden goose, and the golden goose is our company. But sometimes protecting the golden goose means I also have to protect the community that we're working in and their golden goose as well. And that's when I know it's a win-win situation. And I apologize, I'm speaking in cliches, but (laughs) we're very committed to want to be involved locally as much as we can. Well, we're excited about a lot of the directions that this has taken us in our preliminary conversations. Uh, What do you see as being good alternatives for our community quickly that we might be able to do to address some of the, well, not some of the looming housing issue we have? You know, I think that question locally for the city of Belfouche is probably can be answered like it is in every rural community. Um, First and foremost, identify and prove the need. You may not have to spend $20,000 and five years on a housing study. Maybe you can start with the fact as a city official, find out what properties in your rural community are vacant what properties the city owns that are off the tax rolls that were given back for non-payment of taxes or were donated to the city in an estate that are just sitting there off the tax rolls doing nothing. Okay, Right now, that land has no value. It's not making anybody any money. It's not serving any purpose. Okay, So if that's the case, every community, most every community I know, has a local builder Why not get involved with the governor's house programs, take that vacant lot, offer it on an RFP, or for for gosh sakes, gift the land to somebody, let them put a governor's house on it. Now you've got property back on the tax rolls. Somebody has a place to live. That's an easy win-win situation. And every rural community has properties that are off the tax rolls that are just sitting there doing nothing. And the neighbors don't like because the cats are running in and out of the basement windows. Yep, that's exactly right. So so those are the, the that's a good first step. Um, you know, identify properties or areas where you could create a discretionary formula and maybe attract some business or attract some homeowners to, uh, homes to be built with deferred or prorated taxes. 
Um, Belfouche has done a wonderful job of that. Hot Springs did a proration, a discretionary fund. Most counties have discretionary funds of some yeah. sort. Um, the other thing to look at, which is really scary because people are afraid of things they do not know, and understandably, but look into the tax increment financing. Look into the TIF process and see if there's something in your local community that with a TIF that you could do. You know, if with a TIF you can pay for infrastructure and development of a, of a property and you have 10 or 12 lots that are available and you've got two or three builders over the course of a couple of years could build 10 houses, get going. You turn a low tax property into a pretty solid tax base pretty quickly. That's if, exactly that's... right. And we were we were adding those numbers up earlier today. Um, you know, if you build, let's just say eight twelve plex units, you end up over the course of five years with over one and a half million dollars in property taxes in almost every county of the state. Now, not every city or county needs eight, but if you've got one or two. You know, you that's a good way to get property taxes in a hurry. So I would reach back and comment on the TIF projects. Uh, unfortunately, a few get a bad name. There's a lot of them, and so many of them work out and work as they should that you, you always forget stuff that works like it should. You always remember the problems, and as a bank, we're involved in them frequently enough, and I, I see them work routinely, but once in a while, one won't for some reason, and that's the one everyone remembers because it becomes a, a thorn in the foot of exactly. Of and involved. and I I think that's just society in general. It's always the minority in any subject or group that creates the stereotype for that particular thing. So yeah, I agree with you completely there. I'm gonna take a really hard right turn on you right now, Dean, and utilize some of the experience you have on a national level. Uh, in the meeting we were in yesterday, you mentioned with the, the board activity and such that you're involved with, administrations change um, and not being political at all. Sometimes the administrations are housing friendly. Sometimes they're not housing friendly. Sometimes they're single family friendly and sometimes they're multifamily friendly. Uh, are you seeing a trend right now and a direction we might be able to go in our rural communities to capitalize on some of these? Um, yes, absolutely am. Um, the prior administration, the Trump administration, was very, very focused on single-family homes, believing that if I go in and buy my home for $300,000, boom, all of a sudden $300,000 is back in the economy. Okay, um, And so the incentivizations and the focus in the Trump administration was on single-family building. Okay, the Biden administration has, uh, which is more uh, liberal, the Democrats involved on all levels. Um, their philosophy is: we believe in getting people a place to live. We don't think that everybody needs to have their glorious forever home right now, this very minute. But it's important that everybody has a roof over their head. So the fastest way in that agenda politically to do that is with multifamily housing. Um, and you know that a lot of multifamily housing, um, some people in that realm can't afford market rate rents. And so you're seeing a lot of incentivization right now in low-income housing tax credits and incentives for builders and developers to build uh, subsidized housing apartment complexes that are going to have subsidized rents, things like that. And regardless of your political beliefs or your political affiliations, the fact of the matter that I think is the best news is both the Democrats 
and the Republicans believe in the importance of housing. They just approach it differently. And I think that if we as Americans, and especially in rural America, take a step back, that's our priority too. You know, whether it's single family homes, whether it's multifamily homes, um, it's important that people have a place to live. And it's affordable for them, and it's good for the community, and it brings tax revenue in. But yes, in short, the current administration is focusing on multifamily lending, low-income housing tax credits, a lot of tax incentives for the 40 to 60 percent of the median income communities, which, as a side note, currently Belfouche will qualify for some of that. So we're looking into that right now. I believe most of the communities in western South Dakota and the Black Hills region do qualify under those parameters. I don't think I'm absolutely no, there. no, you are not. The, I think the national average is 44,000, somewhere in that neighborhood, for every income earner. Um, most families have two incomes being earned in the home. Um, but I think in Belfouche, the median income was at 26000 was what we had heard, uh, read in our MSA data. So, so yeah, um, there's, there's definitely creative ways to help financially. The government is there. Uh, well, Reagan used to say the scariest words in the world are, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. But uh, I think we can look for that because any incentivization you can get to help create housing for rural America is a good thing. Absolutely. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. Your guests with me today are Holly Stalder, the Belfouche Economic Development Corporation, and Dean Hedrick with Halt Homes. We've been discussing housing needs in our rural communities, western South Dakota and the Black Hills region. Uh, I think we've identified a lot of the opportunities out there for addressing these needs in, in our area. Um, first thing you have to do if you're going to undertake this challenge in your community, I think, is uh, organize the cats or herd the cats. Holly, uh, you've done an exceptional job of this for us over the last five years. So if one were going to follow in your footsteps, how do you start herding the cats? Great question, Clay. Thank you. <laughs> Easy answer, Holly. Easy answer, of course. And, you know, part of what we do is we educate. We need to be coming along as a community together to understand what full, true community development is. When people ask, well, what's economic development? To me, it is community development because it ties all those things together that are important to all of us, where we want to live, where we want to work. And so understanding that holistically as leaders for a community at the city and the county economic development level is, that's the key to making anything happen. And so Building those relationships takes time. Building that understanding takes time. But the key to it is the education and just having that empathy and understanding for knowing some of these are hard lumps and we got to take them. We got to get through that to know we want to so, get from here to here to accomplish our goals together. How do you identify the cats that you're going to herd in the beginning? Well, we need some key leaders at the table. And anytime you're looking at the community level, you have to go to the top. So that is going to be your city, your county officials. You know, your school plays an important role in that. Your economic development organization is very key because we can be more of a kind of an autonomous liaison to help some of those tougher things come together that um, can be challenging in a public forum setting all the time. We can help just to nurture those relationships and make things happen where people can feel more comfortable in the environment they're working in. 
So do you find yourself going back and forth between the city, the county, and the private industry quite often? Yes. Explaining to me what I didn't get from the guy earlier today? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. Repeat, 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 right? Education, we repeat a lot. It doesn't, we don't always get it on the first go around. Sometimes it takes and if I could add something to that, because Holly does a beautiful job of what she does in being that liaison, that that focus, that can, that central point that everybody can come to and and answers can be given. When you're working on a project like this and you go from housing study to identifying properties to working with city and county officials to working then with a builder and developer, Oftentimes what we have seen is that once the builder-developer is on board and hired, so to speak, everybody scatters because they think their job is done. Ha! We did what we got to do. (laughs) Relief. And, you know, in my world as a builder-developer, I need that entity throughout the entirety of the construction process to the point of ownership to where we are now a member of the economic development team. Oftentimes, when you get a group of people together, they, they think the end goal is getting a builder-developer to the table, when in, when in actuality, it's getting a project completed. And so that would be the only thing I would add to it, is the challenge of stick around and help me once you get me there. Get, it, get us engaged, but keep us engaged until the game is over. Exactly. And it's never over. And it's never <laughs> over. So to do this strategically as a community, uh, I guess the first thing you have to do is identify a problem, but I I think I speak for most communities in our area that we have a housing problem largely because of our business-friendly environment. Uh, The list goes on, reasons why people want to be here. So after you've identified the problem and you address how big your need is, so the community of Belfouche is fortunate that we've had a recent housing study done, so we've we've narrowed the parameters to a greater degree at what that need now is. but if you haven't done that in your community, you, you probably should do that. And then you need to analyze the situation financially and uh, demographically. The MSA, that's available for everyone, and that's public data generated publicly that you can go out and, and acquire and apply to your situation. So then you need to develop a solution, and that's when we meet you. And that's when or you meet the builder like developer. You. Yes, you meet a builder developer and you establish, just like you were saying earlier, Holly, it's about the relationship as much as it's about the project. There has to be a symbiotic trust relationship. There's got to be a relationship that we have with the community, which is more than just staying in a motel till the project is done and leaving and not even saying goodbye. The relationship is my responsibility to plug into the community to become a part of the community, to use the local community as needed. And I'm ta- I don't use is not the right word to use, but uh, if you've got a plumbing company or a lumber yard or you've got framers or somebody that does concrete work or things like that, to engage the community as best you can uh, for the need of the project. Now, if we're building 100 units of apartments that are 12 stories tall, the one guy framer handyman that uh, added your addition last year is not going to be that guy. However, comma, he might be the guy to go in and hire to put in light bulbs in 700 units. You know, so that's a number one priority for us, engaging in the community and allowing the community to engage in our process too, because this is might be our project, but it's a feather in Belfouche's cap. 
it's a feather in the community camp. So when you're talking to builder developers, if you're you being this local rural of Western South Dakota, make sure you feel comfortable from day one with your builder developer. Make sure that they have your best interest as heart as well as theirs. Make sure that they're wanting to be a part of your community, a part of your success. But then the responsibility of the rural community, make sure you want to be a part of that builder developer's success. Make sure you want to engage with them too. It's a two-way street. So this is an unfair question I'm going to ask you because I'm I'm making you wear two hats today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're operating in an advisory capacity, and you're also privately engaged in sure. production and construction. So uh, you're not the only game in town. There's others out there. You know who they are. We don't. We're not in the business. Are there regionally five contractors large enough to handle something on that scale? You know, in, in 2018, I was the president of the Black Hills Home Builders Association. And at that time, there were 438 members, and 112 of them were builders. So you have 112 opportunities. Now, not all builders are created equal. Some of them focus exclusively on commercial construction. Some of them uh, will build one or two houses a year. Some of them will remodel your bathroom. Some of them do production building. So... The availability of people out there has got to match your need because not all onesie-twosie builders can build a production home of 30 or 50 in a year. Some can. So what your need is should match with what the builder is. And, and you can help identify that person through the home builders? Yeah, absolutely. Through the Black Hills Home Builders Association, you can call and say, hey, our community needs this. Now, keep in mind, even if your builder is a onesie-twosie builder, your builder has to have a reason to come that includes profit. And profit is not a bad word. But the if it doesn't... The bank really likes customers that make a profit. Yes, banks like, <laughs> yeah, banks like customers that make a profit. And so why isn't construction being done in rural communities? Why isn't it being done right now? Well, the answer is simple. Times have changed. You know, I grew up as a little kid in Murdo, South Dakota. Um, 1973, where the whole community was excited because a local couple took one of the uh, condemned houses from the flood of 72 out Canyon Lake area, wasn't damaged, just was in a condemned zone, and they put it on a hay truck and took it out to Murdo, and I think that's the last house that was built in Murdo, South Dakota. Why is that? There isn't an incentive now, um, I had a friend of mine just finish a house in Wall, South Dakota. It was a remodel. He said, I put $20,000 worth of brand new doors and brand new windows in that home, and I you couldn't sell it, it, and you'll never get it back. Yep. So that's because rural communities, um, housing market, because there hasn't been any, there's not a lot of comps, not a lot of appraisals. People can't think outside the box. There's no incentivization. So instead of figuring it out, construction just kind of stopped. If housing could be done in rural communities easily, I guarantee you everybody locally would be doing it. And so make sure you understand that when you're approaching a builder is it's got to be worth their while, okay, because we all have a business to run. And so give me reasons other than money to come. Give me community. 
give me support industry, um, give me political relationships, and by that I mean I want to be able to call the the city inspector. I want to be able to talk to the planning and zoning commission. I want to be able to call the banker at seven o'clock at night. I want to be able to talk to my county officials, even though they don't represent me. I want to have those connections, and that's important. And I think our rural communities really need to understand that. You've got to give the builder developer a reason to come to your community. And that reason has got to be more than just the hassle of a profit on one house. You don't need to practice in a lot of instances. If I were going to have to practice building, I would be practicing fishing for sure. <laughs> I think that the probably the best message in summary is there is a lot of opportunity out there. But two things have to happen. First and foremost, our leaders in rural communities need to think outside the box because the box doesn't have any answers. We need to think outside that box and be creative in our own communities to create solutions instead of finding problems. Okay. Um, most importantly, I think that's job one. Um, job two is you've got to you've got to be cooperative with the people you're dealing with. And I think Holly, you hit the nose, the nail on the head, the nose on the hammer, whatever you want to say, in the fact that it's it's about the relationships. Um, you've got to develop those. You've got to develop them within your community. You've got to develop them within the state. And you've got to network with other communities. Um, I think it was Henry Ford that said he was not a smart man. He was just smart enough to hire people who were smarter than him to work for him. And I think that we very much need to use that same concept here. There's a lot of smart people around and they have no problem at all sharing your knowledge, their knowledge, if you just ask. They're not going to volunteer it, but they, if you ask. I'm sure, Holly, if you got a call from the Economic Development Director in Phillips, South Dakota, you'd spend an hour or two on the phone talking with them, helping them. Mm -hmm. I know that we do the same even with other builders. We are competitors, but we're also friends. And I think that's the greatest blessing for living in western South Dakota. And why people are moving here and, and why people are housing challenges. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So with every solution, there is another problem. And I guess that's what we get paid for is providing solutions to the problems. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, with that said, uh, Holly, Dean, thank you both very much for your time, wisdom, and expertise on the topic. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Clay. You're most welcome. Pioneer Bank and Trust. Member FDIC.